I want to give you a little stat. 54% of folks right now in competitive aren't measuring success quantitatively. What's your reaction to that? Is that a surprise? Is that shock? Is that disappointment? What, what, what do you hear? What do you think like, when you hear that? Physically makes me uncomfortable. Um, it's like cringeworthy. How, how do you show your value at the end of the day, right? Like beyond deliverables. So that, yeah, that I have a very physical reaction to that stat. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and today I was joined by Jen Roberts, the Senior Manager of Go-To-Market Strategy at Service Titan. If you're looking for real examples of how you build executive visibility for your competitive work, get a strategic seat at the table, and the starting steps for building out a win-loss program, then this is definitely the episode for you. Jen did both of these things during her time at Expedia and now as well at Service Titan. This is a great conversation and I particularly love how direct Jen is. There's really no waffly answers at all. She also gives us a hot take on where she thinks compete programs should sit within the organization. As always, we greatly appreciate it. If you're listening right now, if you could subscribe to the show and if you like the episode, go on, just leave us a little review. It means a lot to us. All right. With that all said, let's get into today's episode. All right. Today, I am joined by Jen Roberts, not Jenny Roberts, not Jenny with an I, Jen Roberts. (laughs) the senior manager for go-to-market strategy at Service Titan. She's also got over five years of experience specifically in go-to-market strategy with prior roles at Intap and at Expedia. Jen, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a fun one. Jen, we, we chatted about what a few weeks ago, kind of preparing for this episode, and there was a million and one ways we could have gone. The di- there's so many directions we could go with a podcast episode with you. But specifically today, we want to talk about getting a strategic seat at the table. I think it's something that's come up on many live sessions we've done with guests I've had, uh, just folks I've spoken to in the space. It's, it's not easy to get that seat just yet. And currently in your role at Service Titan, you mentioned that when you came in well, about a year ago that you immediately kind of had visibility based on your prior experience, when you came into the role, like you were in that spot, which is awesome, but you didn't necessarily have that luxury in your prior role. So it would be great to kind of dive in if you're keen on what you did to kind of get that executive visibility in your prior role. And then we can jump into some of the stuff that you're doing now with Service Titan. Yeah, definitely. I'm super fortunate at Service Titan, there's an appetite, right? And I think that's like, that sets you up for success. Also, the the role was hired into strategy, into marketing strategy specifically, right? So uh, there was a lot of factors that set me up for success there. But to your point, um, in other roles, I sat in product, um, kind of you know making it a little bit more difficult to get that strategic spot. Um, physically, I think CI is best suited in strategy because it cuts across all of go-to-market and it allows you to navigate a bit. When you're seated square into one area, um, whether that be, you know, product or marketing or product marketing, um, you're a little bit more vertically focused, right? Um, In terms of what what you can and cannot do. And there's also that orientation of like being a service function rather than a strategic partner. And so... Mm -hmm. 
um, some of the things that have worked in terms of building consensus to get to that strategic spot, I, I think back to Expedia specifically, um, and even Intap is really helping the company flip that mentality from kind of a reactive service space to a more proactive approach. And in order to do that, um, you know, and, and there was a little bit of it at, at Service Titan as well, to be honest, uh, even being mm-hmm. seated in strategy, like just CI in general being viewed. Um, they had a pretty robust CI team that I, that I stepped into to lead and um even even as it stood in strategy it was viewed more reactive than proactive and so uh to me the the way that i have found success in getting that strategic seat is first doing the dirty work right i think that there's table stakes to ci that um are necessary evils if you will the battle cards of the world the heat maps uh all of that heavy desk research and arduous process and um, we don't have to go into what maintenance and all of that looks like there. Uh, but I think once you have that foundation in place, you start building the confidence around you that you have what you need to compete. And then you can start taking it to that next level and figure out how you get you know, that messaging into demand gen or you get you know, into the pitch decks and um the sales cycle and the enablement pieces. But I think you have to have that table stakes in place so that you can, when you get those requests and the fire drills, I mean, how how frequently do you hear that the sky is falling about a competitor, right? All the time, right? But if you show your expertise, you show that you've got it under control, you have a good program in place in terms of those table stake items, you have a process for tracking, um, it allows the organization to have confidence in how you're you're looking and monitoring the market. And that's when you get to start having more fun, in my opinion. So what I'm hearing for you is you got on one side of the coin, it's like, yeah, you need to do the dirty work. You need to set the foundation in place. That's going to build confidence around others. And then you can start to actually build out the program, have a, a louder voice in different conversations. Yeah. And then you also mentioned as well, like shifting from... Uh, you said that your your compete program sat under product and then it moved to strategy. One thing though, when you move from product to strategy, like how did that change what your touch points across the business being in that strategic side of the um of the business? Yeah, um, it broadened them, right? It it did bring on more conversations. So like if you think back on um to to the um Intab Expedia, my time at, at both of those companies very product focused, which meant that my primary stakeholder was product, right? At Expedia, I spent time in the marketing world too. And then my primary stakeholder became revenue, right? In in terms of uh, sales. And so I will say that my primary stakeholder at Service Titan is is revenue as well, um, but there's an appetite. And I, I mention all of this and along with the appetite, because I think that with the different view of stakeholders, you have to take care of your primary stakeholder first in order to get those broader conversations and also understand what motivates and what outcomes that stakeholder is being measured on um, to really hit those wins with them. For example, you know, your product team wants depth of information where your sales team wants breadth of information, right? And so depending on where you're seated, uh, you got to start with that stakeholder in mind and build. And so when it come, when it came to product and getting those deep dives, you know, it became more of a, a flex of a process in place and, and, you know, how we prioritize and bring those in. Um, whereas, you know, sitting on the other side, 
It's how can we more fluently speak to kind of our competitiveness. And mm. so, um, yeah, I think to me, it, it comes down to really getting at that individual first and then broadening the conversation. Plus, once you have, whether it's that deep dive or those battle cards, you're just better positioned to have better conversations, right? Because you're just showing off that expertise. I think what's cool as well when you're talking is I've spoken to so many people about like when you get that the idea of like compete at the strategy level, sometimes it could feel a bit removed from what's happening day to day. And if you're removed, then you're not going to have that confidence and buy-in. But the way that you kind of position it is, yeah, we're, we're looking at this at a broader strategic level across different departments, but that's not coming at the expense of doing these hands-on things, doing deep dives being in the calls, finding who my primary stakeholder is, building that relationship, providing value to them first. You can't you can't just get to that strategic seat. You can't just be a strategic voice without doing the hard work, doing the grunt work and being present. Yeah, no, that's a it's a super good point to really lean into. Um, uh, I have this uh, two two mottos that I live by. One is ask for um, uh, forgiveness, not permission, uh, which has served me well. And then also help me help you. And so I don't, I shouldn't say I don't care, but like wherever you sit, whether it's in product marketing, whether it's in strategy, whether it's in product or wherever, I think you start the same regardless. And that is, and that's, and to me, this is how I've built my relationships, right? And this is how I get that confidence and trust to have those bigger conversations. All of us CI professionals know the bare minimum to make an effective program, right? It is equipping our teams with the knowledge that they need. It might look a little bit different. My battle cards might be structured differently than your battle cards. You know, I might look at my heat map in a, in a more granular way than you look at yours. However it might be, there are table stakes that have to be set. And once you set those table stakes, that's when you really nurture a relationship. You come forward with, hey, look, I'm the expert here. I know what CI needs to work. Mm. I've developed, you know, here's how I prioritize my competitors. I've developed the battle cards to support sales in this way. I've developed the heat map to support product in this way. I would love your feedback. And then you have something to like hang your hat on. You've shown them that you're willing to do the work. You're listening. You want to listen to them, right? And the relationship is super organic from there because they see that you're willing. They see that you're open um, and they want you to succeed as much as you want them to succeed. So the Compete program can be successful if it sits on the product, product market is there. But I think you, you mentioned like there's the possibility or the potential that you get pigeonholed a bit, say, if you just sit with like product, for example. So regardless of where you sit for anyone listening is you still got to, you still got to network. You still got to spread the, spread the wings and talk to the necessary people, the necessary stakeholders and then improve value. Another piece that is incredibly important in terms of just the validity of your program is measuring success and proving worth. And that's like kind of quantitative qualitative. We'll get into both. But first of all, and I've shared this with a couple people, Jen, so I like to get their reactions. I want to give you a little stat. 54% of folks right now in competitive aren't measure, measuring success quantitatively. What's your reaction to that? Is that a surprise? Is that shock? Is that disappointment? All of the above? What, what, what do you hear? What do you above, think when like, you hear that? Physically makes me uncomfortable. Um, it's like cringeworthy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised though. I, you know, I think CI is really tough to measure. Uh, and honestly, I, I'm not really sure if any of us have it right uh, to be like completely frank, but 
Uh, the fact that over half of us professionals are not tracking our ROI, like how, how do you show your value at the end of the day, right? Like beyond deliverables. Um, and so that, yeah, that, that physic, I have a very physical reaction to that stat. When you're opinion, why, why is it so hard? And you mentioned that it's difficult. So I, I'm not looking at the 54% and saying, shame on you. No, <laughs> I think you're, there's an acknowledgement like, ah, that's sad, but not surprised. So why is that difficult for people in this compete space right now? There's a lot of layers here. Uh, but I think that like the, the first and foremost, right? Like you only need CI when you need CI, right? Mm. So like as a seller, for example, or as someone in product, like, if I'm going up against someone and I'm new to the role, like I need CI, I need those talk tracks. I need that FUD. I need all of those things. When I'm building products, I really want to understand how everyone else is doing it so we can do it better. Right. But you only need it when you need it. And then there's like another piece to it where if I'm a, if I'm very senior in my role, especially on the sales side, I, I know the market. Like I know how to value sell. I know how to deposition. And so I'm looking for competitive to give me new information about product releases, about, you know, new pricing models, whatever it might be that, that the competition is doing. I just want the nuggets. I know the basics. And so, you know, then it becomes adoption becomes hard, right? Because it's like, oh, it's great. Everyone loved the battle cards at first, but now no one is using them. Mm. Well, you enabled them. That's fantastic. And they only need them now for updates of those nuggets or when new folks come into the role. Um, and so I think that's what makes it really hard, uh, but not impossible. It's interesting that adoption metrics, I think it's a great starting point for sure, right? Like are people using our content? Are they, you can have kind of that feedback. How are you feeling confident against your competitors since using it? All of that stuff. And actually what you mentioned is really important is ramping. It's all, I've so many people have been like having the foundation in place is so good for speed, like time to value speed to ramp for, for reps, but there can be that drop off. And so if you're just looking at adoption alone, if that's the only thing you're beholden to, it's like, well, there was a spike and then a drop. So something you're doing something wrong. You're not providing value anymore. But like what you're saying is, no, we, we've probably just got the, got the reps up to speed or whoever the end users are up to speed. And now they're coming back less frequently because there's not always a new update every day on every competitor they should care about, right? Yep. There's that. I think adoption too is a great conversation like to continue to track too. Like it, mm -hmm. there's the ramp piece of it, but then like, after we release battle cards into the wild, you know, we look at adoption really close at first. Like I want to make sure that every single yeah. seller has seen that, you know, Intel from there, it's more of a qualitative approach. Like, okay, great. You're, you've adopted. It's going to, there's a cliff, it's going to fall, but then let's start reaching out like annually into a confidence survey, make sure that they're still remaining confident. Let's reach out qualitative, didn't just do, you know, interviews. Hey, I, I want to see how you're using these. Can we talk about it? What's missing? Um, there's a constant feedback loop in terms of like leaving comments, right? Or providing, hey, this FUD worked a month ago, but the competitor has since changed the way they're doing it and no longer works, right? There's all of those maintenance conversations to track adoption, to really expand upon, you know, how it's being used, why it's being used. Um, but I think there's also this place for, for qualitative, or excuse me, for quantitative, you know, and I think about some of the things that we're doing, um, and I've done it at, at Expedia, you know, doing it at Service Titan as well, it's trying to be a little bit more purposeful and intentional, um, 
now that we have the basics in place, right, that I mentioned, mm -hmm. you can start having fun. And the fun looks like, you know, connecting with our demand gen partners and really thinking about some ways in which we can go after depositioning our competitors, if you will, uh, from a demand gen perspective, whether that's a, you know, a campaign, whether that's emails, whether it's on the dot com, but then pairing that with other efforts. Maybe there's a specific talk tracks that we can provide to sellers. Um, but again, really focusing in there. And then it becomes a little bit more measurable in the sense of I can now track MQLs. I can now track booked meetings with my SDRs who are using my talk tracks. Um, uh, and let me lean in there a little bit when I say those that are using my, my talk tracks. So something that I have found that really works is all around piloting. So getting a mm. small group and getting them to really focus in on those talk tracks, getting marketing to really focus in the same time on those talk tracks, and then measuring booked meetings from that specific group closed one and closed lost opportunities based on that very specific program that we're running those mqls um you you can show the success of providing that in extra enablement and support providing that messaging whatever it might be uh at, in a smaller scale and you can also then start attributing revenue to that effort what i love about that so it's like a huge part and this is something that i firmly believe in is that like compete you can't be successful and compete unless you're enabling people properly yeah and teams properly like that is often overlooked but it's often the most critical part and what you mentioned there and what i love about your example here is like these you start with like a smaller pilot group like a it's like a controlled variable like a controlled group you can kind of measure you can compare those that have been competitively enabled and those that haven't like that's a really cool concept. And I, what I like as well is like someone right now that maybe they'll have to have their foundations in place, but I don't think that this is something beyond the pale for someone to kickstart and try now. If you know there's a competitor that's emerging or is like won a lot more deals last quarter, yep. put together like a, a, a team, put together like your efforts there. Let the, let the stakeholders that need to know that this is a project you're undertaking crush it, yeah. <laughs> enable the SCRs with that correct messaging. And now you have a proof point. You have this hard quantitative da data that you mentioned in contrast to people that aren't being supported by Compete. So I love that example. And I love that it's not just uh, some, something you could do miles down the road. You could, you no, could try you and track this right now. Yeah, you have three battle cards. Go like I think <laughs> you know what I mean. Pick you know, uh, pick and choose based on like you said, different different inputs on where you want to focus that attention and time and and go. Um, I also and, and it to your point, you can you can sh show the difference between the control group and not. You know, you'd want them to outperform on like win rate and um, the amount of revenue brought in. All you know, there's different metrics there that you can look at and compare. I think something else that we've learned over time too is that yes, enabling and this goes back to the adoption conversation is fantastic. Like it's great to enable the entire organization. I want everybody at Service Titan to know who our competitors are. I wanted everyone at Expedia to know where we compete and where we stood and how we ranked and all of that. But at the end of the day, if you can enable a small group to kill it and really get in there, really dive deep, it also helps your efforts too, right? It's easier to enable a small group, a pilot, a tiger team to just go out and kill it versus 
broad. And so those are, you know, something to think about is as you think about kicking this off. That's such a good point. Again, I, I mentioned this quote many times on the podcast, but um, it was Dan Hamilton, the VP of CI over at Salesforce mentioned, like, don't spread the peanut butter, meaning yes. don't just surface level compete. Uh, no, and what you mentioned is from like a people perspective, don't just enable everyone very surface level. Like you have to tear this out. And same with the projects you undertake is don't just do a half-assed job of a bunch of projects. Like we've all been there. This is regardless of compete when you have too many projects and you don't do them all very well. You just do them all. Eh. Or you could be very specific and very strategic in what projects and what people you want to work with. Now you're onto something. Now you're going to get traction. Like yeah. when you have that kind of, at some point you need the, the blinders on to focus on these projects and, that's that's such a cool example that you bring in, not just from a project standpoint, but but the people as well. Who are the yep. people that we want to be supporting? Yeah, no, you bring it the, the peanut butter. I love that example. Like, don't don't spread yourself too thin, right? Um, but like when I think about just starting out, the pilot is essential. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you you build, you prioritize your competitors, you build your battle cards, you build your artifacts, right? Get a group, a cross-functional group. I've done this now a few times, you know, get the success group, get the SDRs, get the AEs, um, get a few marketing folks, get them in your content and your tools for a quarter, let them play around and then look at what, you know, what they informed with that information. What did they influence with that information? And then what impact did they make with that information and compare it to those that don't have and are not enabled, you will see a, a, a big difference. So in your time so far, when you've done these sort of examples, when you present that back, like what happens next? What what do you do after? <laughs> hey, look at this tiger team we've put together. Look at this control group we've got together, this pilot group. They're doing pretty well. Like what's what's the next step then? You know, when it comes to like the bare basics of just like getting your CI team up and running, you know, the next step is, is a little bit peanut butter-esque in the sense of enabling everyone to know that this information exists, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and it and it becomes more compelling when you're like, Hey, the team that used this had a, you know, 3x stronger win rate than those that didn't, right? Or you support your kind of broad enablement through those statistics. Again, help help me help you. Like I'm showing you how to do your job, like bring more value and and do your job better, if you will, right? I, I it's it's a mix uh, to be honest with you. I, we enable the entire company. They know that it's there. Um, we focus in but I still have tiger teams. Okay. This isn't all smooth sailing though, running compete. I want to know, could you tell me about a time, any of your stops right now running compete where you felt that the program or maybe your competitive efforts weren't going in the direction that you wanted? I think there's like, uh, there's definitely a few examples, right? I, that I, one of the hardest things that I still struggle with is, you know, you, you do those deep dives um, for products, right? And like, uh, it, that's not a cheap venture from a desk research standpoint, from if you use a vendor, however you do it, um, it it's expensive. And so how do you get the most value there uh, and not just let it die on the vine? It kills me when we fund a deep dive for something specific in product or on something specific because the sky is falling. And then they're like, okay, cool. They, they read the report and then they walk away. Like that just, to me, that's like, that kills me. Um, you got to make it actionable. And so it comes down to like road shows. Like whenever I see that start happening, I will take that body of work and I will road show it. Like, have you seen this? How can you what, use it? What does um, the road show mean? What does that look like? Give me a lens inside to Jen's road show to the product 
15. Let's make these insights actionable, people. We don't want right. to look through a three-page report and then chuck it away. So it, it comes down to um, really how it's presented, right? So depending on the audience, again, getting a memo in front of them around like what are the top things as it relates to them, as it motivates them, and what are the recommendations from your vantage point? Um, and then what are you doing about it? Because like it's one thing to be like, I have this report for you and here's what I think you should do. This is mm. your job. Uh, it's another thing to say, hey, look, these are the recommendations based on the report. Here's what we're doing also to support it. And what that looks like from this deep dive perspective is, hey, we've been grading this into the battle cards. We've updated all of our artifacts, right? We've developed a strategic program around it. How can you also add value to all of this work that we're doing? It's so much, this is so interesting when you're talking, because it just makes sense. Like it becomes less of an ask to them. It's like, hey, this thing, this ship's sailing. We're moving this direction. You want to jump on board and be a part of this thing that's going to work? This yeah. We've done the research. I mean, you were at Intellicon too, a uh, couple about a month or so ago. And this, this, this topic of how do you enable product teams? How does compete and product partner? It feels like it's one of the toughest nuts to crack right yes. now in the space. And no one has this clear cut answer because i think exec level you've got this like strategic look ahead there's a lot of market landscape informing the execs sales marketing very tactical what can i do today but product kind of fits in this middle ground so yeah. it's sort of like when you're in university and you read the you're reading your 40 page readings but the first page it gives you the it gives you the rundown of what matters yes. most now you're going to read it otherwise yep. 40 pages is daunting for me yeah oh yeah and that's like another big thing that like those in-depth research pieces, they're great for my team. Maybe they're great for like a few others in the audience, like the ICs who are like deep into it, right? But like, find me other individuals that have the time to read those reports, right? And so we're, we're a pretty heavy memo culture and I don't mind it at all. I think it's it's certainly been a lesson for me in terms of like getting to that concise answer and getting actionable. Um, when it comes to like cracking that nut of product, it is, it's a huge obstacle there. I, I think we talked about this earlier on in terms of like depth and breadth, right? Because mm -hmm. they want two different things. They're, they're optimizing for two different outcomes. And so one program that has been incredibly helpful to uh, at least like scratch the surface of the, you know, the tip of the iceberg, if you will, is win loss, because it allows me to speak and like quantitatively tell them why we should care about something. And, and that's where we can deep dive, right? Instead of just like, Ooh, the direction of the wind is going this way. Our incubators <laughs> are doing this. We need to build this. It's like, you know, we, let's take a step back. Let's talk about it. Let's see, you know, if we're materially losing deals because of it, let's see if, mm. let's, let's, you know, work with voice of the customer. Is this something our customers really even care about? Is this something the market desires? And win-loss is definitely that vehicle, at least uh, for me, it has been in, in my previous roles uh, and my current role to really get to that actionable conversation and to get to deeper conversations with product. So the win-loss program that you built, not only is it helping you get a strategic seat, but it's also helping you build that relationship with product. Do you, what were some of the first steps you took to building that program for, for listeners that might be starting from scratch here? Well, you're going to face a lot of different things. I think the first thing I'll tell you is no data is clean. I have, uh, this will be the third win-loss program that I have built. I have never walked in and been like, I am so impressed with your Salesforce data or your CRM data. 
Um, I've never seen a clean instance. I've never seen a situation where sales interprets, defines everything the same way. Um, it's so my point to all of this is that should not stop you. It's been a million times tried to stop me, if you will, because people are always like questioning the validity of the data because it's not perfect, but no data is perfect. And so I think when you when you're starting, start with the data. Look for directional accuracy. It'll direct it'll give you some direction, but then bring in qualitative. Talk to your sellers. Look at the big deals that we won and that you you lose, right? Talk to the sellers that are behind those deals. Dig a little bit deeper into that record in the CRM. Ask those questions. On the flip side, talk to the prospect, talk to the customer, ask them, look at all go to market, look at product, look at marketing, look at sales, ask them, you know, why we won, why we lost, bring it together. And that tells that much more holistic story and also starts providing confidence in the data. So when you have customers or sellers being like, oh yeah, this, that, you know, this, that, and the other, and the data is saying, you know, is, is corresponding with that, it provides that confidence like, okay, yeah, maybe I only have like 30% of my sellers actually giving me this data, but it is directionally, you know, accurate. You're doing a lot of research, a lot of work there. There's, there's probably, there's a lot of, um, you, you've still got to kind of distill that, I think, to a memo. So how, how do you share out those insights to the right teams in a way that's, again, not getting glossed over? And then from there, how's that, helped elevate the stature of your program in the org too. Yeah. So I will say when I came in, um, there was no one loss program currently. Other places I've been when loss was owned elsewhere. Uh, I will shout out really quickly that when loss does not belong in sales, it does not belong in product. It belongs in strategy. Uh, for obvious reasons, again, I don't know anyone who's been like a seller and been like, it was a hundred percent because they didn't value sell. It was Our pricing. Was, it was pricing. Right? It's pricing. It's, it's pricing. It was the product, right? And then the product people are like, well, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't positioned properly. It wasn't sold properly. So I'll, I'll, I won't belabor that point, but it needs to be very horizontal in that way. Whereas you look at all aspects of go to market um, and, and you dive into each one uh, in order to, to and, and you tailor that message. So to your point about how you share that, we have tailored memos depending on the stakeholder. So my, you know, the executives about two weeks after the quarter close get a get a really distilled memo about insights and actions my team is taking. I'm not recommending actions that other teams take. I'm telling them how we are going to support this in the next quarter. Then I go on another roadshow. So product gets a very specific memo and it's, yeah, let's share with them what's happening overall, but it deep dives into those features and functionalities that are specifically called out. Um, sales, very similar in that way, right? How how could we better position, package, what what not um, to help them become more successful in their sales endeavors? And so, you know, it's talking to the GMs uh, it, and bringing forward recommendations and showing them what we're doing to support it. Uh, it's it's talking to to various leaders to get them on board, um, you know. But you're competing against a million different priorities, and uh, there's all of that. But I will tell you, like at least what I've learned in in this current role, where there was no program in place altogether, we bootstrapped it, and now I'm three quarters in, um, and we have uh, an FTE like 
almost dedicated to this work. They, they expect it from us now, right? And it's something that it's a muscle they didn't even know that they needed. And an opportunity that I saw, because it pairs so nicely with competitive, mm-hmm. you just got to do it, right? And so, um, but it's dirty work, Adam, to your point. Like it is a lot of work. There's a lot of data cleaning. You really have to extract that that story but once you get there, once you flex that muscle, once you build confidence and, and people have that confidence in you, it becomes something so necessary that you, you don't do it. And they're going to be like, wait, where, where is it? Like, it does ring uh, something else that I didn't mention when we talked about measurables. There's mm. some intangible measurables uh, that aren't ROI focused necessarily, um, but through win-loss have certainly come up. And and that is who who's reaching out and who's inviting you to conversations, right? Um, I think that is something worthwhile to look at for your program. You know, are the executives reaching out to you? Are leaders reaching out to you? Are ICs reaching out to you? Asking for your, your team's insights. You know, do they think it's important to their conversations? Are they giving you back information? Oh, they heard this and that about a competitor. I wanted to let your team know. I know we can get flooded and I know I'm sure everyone has like a compete Slack channel that like fires away with all the things. Um, But I think it's super important when you start getting invited to conversations by GMs to give your perspective on the market and how we are competing and why we are winning and why we are losing or when uh, a sales leader has a conversation uh, and has has intel for you and reaches out and is like, hey, did you know this? Do we have anything on it, right? To me, that's almost more, I mean, going around revenue is very important. I would be probably struck down for not saying that, but those kind of intangibles um, are, equally as important to me because they show you how important you are to the organization. Absolutely. They're like a signal of a culture of compete being yes. fostered, right? Like it feels like it's now real. Um, I mean, when you're talking right there, like I, our own example here at Clue, just yesterday, I was in, our, in, a, in a call with our CEO and he was talking with our compete lead exactly about something he'd learned about competitive brought it to our compete lead. Conversation kind of went from there. Like that is an example of when the, when the culture of compete is real. And that, again, that piece, along with what you've mentioned, building a win-loss program that kind of increases the sphere of influence of your program, that naturally you're going to get a strategic seat at some point eventually. I want to be courteous of your time. I got a few more questions for you. We've got, and I don't want to spill the beans on exactly what you're doing at service times or, or any of those kind of secrets, but I do have a question now. Now you've got that seat at the table you have executive visibility at a service time if i were a fly on the wall at your exec meeting how how would jennifer be present listening i'm big into listening um but equally as important you know bringing a holistic perspective and sometimes it's saying things that no one wants to hear right like when the sky is falling and um you know there's a new competitor or there's an old competitor who's done something to to outcompete us um, it is bringing that, you know, kind of consistent, confident message around how we can handle it because those processes are already in place, right? It's and and it's a very holistic perspective uh, that takes all the areas of go to market into per, into account, um, not just you know very blinders on, um, you know, this is one square square issue. Uh, to me, 
the problem can be solved with various a variety of inputs. It's not always just one input, right? And so bringing that perspective to the table is uh, what I what I really try and lean into. How do you do that then? Because it feels like, I think what you mentioned when it's like square, let's let's use like a competitive sales deal, for example. You, you know the competitor, there's like input, output almost. It's like, here's, here's the place that we're going to run. But it's more holistic at the exact level. Do you, do you come with recommendations, like hard recommendations? Like how do you kind of present that? What's the, what's the kind of differences between supporting like a hands-on tactical deal and presenting something like that, that you mentioned, like maybe as a competitor beginning to out-compete us in the last two quarters? Like how do you, how do you deliver that to the execs? It's recommendations and it's a holistic list of recommendations. So I think for example, you know, your example of you have a competitor who just, keep sniffing at your heels, right? And you're like, okay, we're going to do something about this. The the next conversations are bringing the right players into the room. Whoever can help you drive, right? Um, uh, And bringing forward, like, here, these are the pertinent findings and here are the recommendations and having that conversation about recommendations. And then it's not just about, you know, like, hey, we have to strengthen our messaging. It's now we know that we need to do this in product. So then how do we communicate that uh, in terms of like our roadmap or uh, how do we, let's say we've lost um, because of a certain reason, how can we re-engage those folks to tell them we're taking care of it? There's so many different ways that you can bring in those different kind of muscles uh, to help solve solve a problem rather than just, you know, stay, stay in your lane, if you will. I do not stay in my lane. <laughs> And that kind of, again, it's almost full circle is not that necessarily being under the strategic function uh, is the the reason why you're that way, but it allows you to be someone that kind of swims in more lanes than one once you're under strategy, actually. So it kind of feels like it's come full circle here. I, I have two final side note questions. I was like, I just want Jen's perspective on these. So first one, although your program's in a strong position right now, if you had 10 times the budget Ooh. tomorrow, the bank account, ding, 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 dollar signs, what would you do with it? Hands down, like all the customer research, right? So like, I think everything we do should be customer centric uh, in the sense that we need to understand who they are. We need to understand how to speak to them. We need to speak to them in their language. And I think like even, even now, like with a strong program in place, we could do better when it comes to customer research, whether that's like qualitative win-loss interviews with external um, prospects and customers uh, or surveys um, or just getting us out there into, into our customers' shops, understanding what they do day to day. I would 100% fund all the customer research because I think at the end of the day, you can do as much desk research as you want. You can understand your competitor's value props. You can write some amazing FUD based on win-loss. But if you're not speaking to the customer in their terms and not communicating that positioning to them in a way that connects with their pain points or what they're trying to solve, in my opinion, it'll just fall, right? It'll just fall flat. Okay, last one here as well. Looking back so far on your career so far, so you've built three different compete programs, three different win-loss programs. What piece of advice would you give to yourself starting in compete years ago now that you have the wealth of experience you have? What would you, what, if you could go back in time, what, what advice would you give yourself? I think when you're starting early days and you're like stuck doing like a million battle cards, it can feel like it, it can get intense, right? Um, 
but it's those quick wins that get you to the next level. And so uh, I actually frequently have this conversation uh, at Service Titan just around like, start with building the basics and get at those quick wins. Establish yourself within the first six months. Brand yourself, something that, uh, <laughs> kind of a running joke, but like, I have a brand. We have a brand at Service Titan, right? Uh, I had a brand at Expedia. Competitive intelligence has its own fonts, has its own colors, has its own slide deck. So silly, but like we're making a mark quickly and we're becoming recognizable. And so on top of building a brand for, for you know, your, your function, just get at the low-hanging fruit and get quick wins. They're not necessarily the sexiest things to do, but get it done. And then you can go to the fun stuff. I love that answer. And <laughs> I mean, you've shared so many tactical examples of how you can do that too. Yeah. Uh, Jen, this was so much fun. You're now officially a friend of the podcast, which means we have to, if we ask you to come out, you have to come back. No offense, <laughs> but that's the rules. Um, and we will have you back for sure. So thank you so much for joining us and we'll catch everyone next week. Awesome. Thank you.